0: Thank you for joining us as we bring you this worship service of 7th Avenue Presbyterian Church. Our readings this morning are from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 63, verses 7 through 9, and from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. Connie Swanson is preaching. Her sermon is titled, Behind Closed Doors. You'll find the link to our complete announcements in your email. Here are a couple of highlights. This Thursday, the 15th, the Anti-Racism Working Group is gathering via Zoom at 7 p.m. If you're interested, contact Nick Endress. Next Sunday, the 18th, we are celebrating Earth Day. Join us for a live worship service at 10 a.m. via Zoom. We will be having communion that day, so if you feel so led, I invite you to be prepared with bread and cup. And now, in preparation for worship, you're invited to quiet yourself, becoming still as you prepare to worship God.
1: God of endless possibilities, you come into the locked rooms of our lives, offering us the gift of peace. When we ignore this gift, forgive us. When we catch a glimpse of it, empower us, so we might offer it to others and participate in the transformation of the world. And now in silence, we continue in prayer with you.
2: God raised Jesus to new life.
1: And God raises us as well.
2: Through the power of resurrection, all that has divided us is now repaired.
1: Believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are made new. Alleluia. Alleluia.
2: Amen. Amen.
3: Spirit in us, that our spirit may show forth your glory.
1: Isaiah chapter 63, beginning with the seventh verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, that in your truth we may find freedom, that in your will we may discover your peace. Through the power of your many names, amen. I will recount the gracious deeds of the Holy One, the praiseworthy acts of God, because of all that God has done for us, and the great favor to the house of Israel that God has shown them according to God's mercy, according to the abundance of God's steadfast love. For God said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely, and the Holy One became their Savior in all their distress. It it was no messenger or angel, but God's presence that saved them. In God's love and in God's pity, God redeemed them. The Holy One lifted lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
4: Thanks be to God.
3: I'll see.
5: A reading from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, beginning with the 19th verse. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw him. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As God has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Here ends the reading.
2: This talk is titled Behind Closed Doors. In this past year, many familiar doors have closed. Doors to shops, doors to restaurants, and doors to schools. Even our front doors closed. None of these doors closed because we willed it. The closing fell outside of our control. Our smaller worlds always remain constrained by the larger world that cannot be controlled. Even now, as historical and natural changes shape and reshape the world that is always too big for us. In today's reading, we see the disciples' effort to control their small world, and yet they are keenly aware of a world beyond that control. They feel the uncertainty, the waiting They feel the fear of a shift that shapes the larger world. Let's take a couple of steps back and see if we can find a way into that grand narrative behind events on this first evening of Jesus' resurrection, and then again one week later. In the book, The Mind of the Maker, Dorothy Sayers draws an analogy between a triune creator and the author of a book. Now, it's easy and probably really important for us to admit that a truly immeasurable chasm exists between the maker, God's creation, and the work of any writer, no matter the author's stature. Yet, Sayers suggests that from the writer's process, We can learn something about the very mind of the Creator. And therefore, we can learn something about today's passage from the Gospel of John. First, Sayers maintains that an idea must take shape in the mind of the Maker, an idea that becomes fully formed and allows the Creator to see the end from the beginning, to see the end from the foundation of their work. Once the idea is fully formed, the maker must bring that idea into being with a vast outlay of energy. Even then, however, the creative work remains incomplete though the author says it is finished. For now, copies of this energy-rendered idea must be read. And until it is read, the Maker's power may not be fully released into the world. In today's reading, the author of John's Gospel drops us into the ongoing action in the upper room at a historical pivot point that echoes the creative work as described by Sayers. The fully formed idea had arrived on earth in human form had used unimaginable outlays of energy. And as the maker's embodied word declared, it is finished. The action behind the locked doors of the upper room comes at the point when the maker's finished work is ready for release. To quote Sayers, When the writer's idea is incarnate by his energy, then, and only then, can his power work on the world. Now, let's move from this way of seeing the grand narrative and return to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. The disciples remain behind doors doors locked for fear of the Judeans, the governing authorities in Jerusalem. The Judeans are the very ones who opposed Jesus and his followers, the ones who sought out Roman support. Historical precedent also meant that Jesus' followers risked his fate. One teacher, however, wrote, The disciples' fear disappoints us because they are acting like people whose leader is dead. Let's take a closer look at that fear. Howard Thurman and N.T. Wright get us face-to-face with the experience of Jesus' followers behind the locked doors on this evening of that first Easter day. Wright says that across the Roman Empire, many had seen more than one crucifixion. Crucifixion as a way of execution asserted complete control. It was intended to shame, to degrade. It aimed to threaten everyone who witnessed it. The threat left a deep cut in the memory in order to command compliance. Its horror could be seen. It could be heard. Victims of crucifixion lingered and gave a human voice to the suffering. Crucifixion brought death to rebel leaders and broke down organized resistance. It dismantled amassing movements. Jewish historian Josephus chronicled the violence of Roman general Verus against a Judean messianic revolt in 4 BC. Verus put down the revolt and crucified 2,000 rebels. Memory of this terror no doubt remained in the public consciousness in Jesus' day. The disciples had identified themselves with the latest messianic movement, with Jesus. Wright is clear about the threat that Jesus' followers faced. Howard Thurman adds to that the perspective of a 20th century African-American. A powerful description of the use of terror for control. In his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, Thurman looks at Jesus from the perspective of human beings who live with their backs against the wall. He describes fear, writing, Violence is the sire of fear. He says that a particular kind of violence fosters even greater fear. Violence that is devoid of contest. It is one-sided violence. When the power and the tools of violence are all on one side, the fact that there is no available and recognized protection from violence makes the fear deep and terrifying. Thurman's description is drawn from human beings in the last 400 years. Might it also describe the followers of Jesus who feared one-sided power that had the tools of violence on its side? Might the events of Jesus' last days have convinced them that protection from such violence was unavailable to them? their fear may be understood by every human being, even children who find themselves without agency in a setting where the powerful align against the weak. We can wonder if Jesus' decision to appear among them in their midst might be a tacit acknowledgement that a knock at the door Would terrify. And so he appeared behind their locked doors and stood in their midst. He did not comment on their fear as he sometimes had. Instead, he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. They were overjoyed. Jesus slowed things down, saying again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. And with that, he breathed on them an echo of God-breathed life in Genesis. And he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he gave them use of the superpower, forgiveness. So on this resurrection day, the creator's idea is complete. And just as an author's printed books go out, the living word now sends out these human signed copies, these image bearers, just as his father sent him. He is the first. And now he sends that powerful, living idea out into the whole world. The writer of John's Gospel skips an entire week and picks up the action. A near repeat takes place in the same room behind the same locked doors. This time, Thomas is present. Jesus, again, appears in their midst and says, peace be with you. Thomas has been portrayed as someone who relies on a sentient way of knowing. However, it's only fair for us to notice that everyone in the room late on Resurrection Day that week before was shown Jesus' hands and his side. Thomas missed that. Jesus now invites Thomas to touch his hands and touch his side. The author indicates that instead of touch and sight, Thomas relied on another kind of knowing, for without any indication to readers that he did touch Jesus, he acknowledges him, calling him my Lord and my God. Here in this sequence of Weeks we encounter Jesus' warmth as he engages his disciples again and again. Does he come behind our fear sealed doors, repeating peace, and coming again and saying, Peace? Does he invite us out into his larger world? I try to manage my small world to include in it only what I can handle, what I think of as safe, safe connections with safe people. But the reality of our small worlds is their impermanence. Circumstances arise in the larger world over which we have no control and those circumstances threaten our little world. Arthur Vogel writes that the wider world overcomes our carefully crafted smaller world. Dorothy Sayers also acknowledged the threat of the larger world that is always outside of our control. She saw a clear view from her front row seat as World War II heated up, publishing Mind of the Maker in 1941 London. Sayers acknowledged a similar dark threat of the ideas power held in words, malevolent words, words of hate and division, words that scapegoat entire groups or elevate falsehood. Such words also incarnate themselves into a wholly other kind of power that is released in the world. We are not unaware of malevolent ideas of the energy that incarnates and releases their power. But Vogel's words encourage us as he says that Jesus never joins us behind locked doors to leave us there but in order to take us into the whole world that he loves. Vogel writes that our real hope is this, that Jesus is the very source of the larger world that he sends us into, and his world cannot be defeated by disconnection or by intrusion. Vogel goes so far as to say that we are invited into the world of a new creation, that arises within the entirety of creation. The resurrected new creation in today's text invited these first edition image bearers to move through locked doors and into the world. The new creation idea fully embodied and with a great outlay of energy, spoke with the authority of suffering, with the authority of resurrection, and released power in human copies. Wright sums it up. Let me quote. Easter functions as the beginning of the new creation. The word through whom all things were made is now the word through whom all things are remade. So Jesus sent them out as makers of a new creation. We have seen enough to hear Jesus' words afresh and ask what they mean for us today. As doors begin to open, he speaks to us. Peace. Peace. Peace be unto you. As my Father sent me, so I send you into the world that I love. And he moves in the room where you are. And he moves among all people in this space between resurrection and Pentecost. Feel his breath on you. Hear him say, I am sending you into the whole world that I love, the world of new creation.
5: affirmation of faith. We believe in a God who sets us within community, giving us gifts beyond our imaginations, inviting us to offer these gifts in partnership and ministry. We believe in a God who, in Jesus, opens up new ways for us to live, who, in Holy Spirit, transforms and changes our lives and world, calling us to live a life of gratitude and thanksgiving. This we believe. Amen.
0: pray God of love we give you thanks for this earth we call home for the birds singing the flowers blooming the Sun awakening life we give you thanks we pray that we might be renewed by the beauty in our midst and that you would encircle us with your peace where there is division hatred falsehood. We pray your healing. As bearers of your image, help us sow seeds of your goodness. When we are faced with a world that is beyond our control, anchor us in your love, that as we begin to re-emerge from behind our locked doors, your peace would remain resident within us. As change comes, be with us, steady us, open us, enable us to trust we will find our way. Be in the stirrings of each of our hearts, in the prayers we share, and in those too intimate to form into words. And now in silence, we continue in prayer to you. We make this prayer in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying,
2: Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation
3: breath of God to do justice and love mercy
0: Jesus never joins us behind locked doors to leave us there, but in order to take us into the world he loves. So go forth this day, image bearers of God, strengthened by that most ancient blessing, peace be with you.